All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I know, shocking, we're in Romans, right? Romans chapter 12. Like I said, tonight's going to try to keep a little low-key. We'll see how that goes. But Romans chapter 12. So we've been, uh, every time that I've had the opportunity to teach, we, we've been going through this chapter of Romans. Uh, we went through the verse 1. Verse 1 was all about surrender. Remember, we talked about surrender. We went all through Romans chapter 1 through 11. We hit all the highlights. We talked about how in chapter 1 that the, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. In chapter 3, we talked about how there are none righteous, no, not one, but that there's righteousness found in Jesus Christ, and it's only in Jesus, right? In Romans 5, we talked about that God demonstrates or shows or proves his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, it talks about that uh, we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, right? And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 8, which is one of probably the best chapter in the whole Bible, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are called. Remember that? And there was also about that nothing in this entire world, nothing in, nothing in heaven, nothing on earth can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and all those things that we talked about from Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 brought us to this point in Romans 12.1 that the only rational thing to do in response to everything described in Romans 1 through 11 is complete surrender to Jesus Christ. That is the only rational thing to do when you, when you weigh out everything that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. The rational, the, the, the reasonable service and spiritual worship is surrender to Jesus Christ. We talked about in verse 2, not being conformed to this world, uh, about being a Christian misfit. Remember that? Being a Christian misfit. And the point of that was to be a Christian misfit is don't fit into the mold of this world, but change your way of thinking through the Holy Spirit and fill your minds with the things of Christ. And then the last time we went through verses 3 through 8, and we talked about contributing to the church. That in Paul's, uh, as he's writing this chapter, he goes from surrender to, to not fitting into this world to how you contribute at church. And how we all have an important part to play in the body of Christ. That we must learn and do our role that God has given us for the church and for his glory. And now we get into verse 9. And we're just going to do one verse tonight. It's verse 9 and, and the, the title. Some, some of our Bibles, I don't know if your Bible has this, but some of our Bibles have like these little like subheadings. Like do you all have that in your Bible? Yeah. Like just so you know, Paul didn't write that. He's not like this is section uh, marks of the true Christian. Like Paul didn't do that, right? It's the interpreter or the people who took the Greek, put it into English, right? And they said, okay. Based on what Paul's talking about, these are the marks of a true Christian. So tonight we're talking about, and tonight and several weeks, I don't know how long this is going to go, because tonight's only one verse, so it might go into 2021, like through the whole year, I don't know, but we'll see. Um, tonight's the effects of the gospel. <clears throat> the effects of the gospel, part one of who knows how many. The effects of the gospel, and the reason I say that is because back in chapter 1, it said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? That we are saved because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the marks of a Christian or the marks of a true Christian, the effects of the gospel. See, the gospel has not only the power to save us, but also the power to change us. Like it's not, it doesn't just stop at salvation. No, I've got my hell insurance. I can do whatever I want now. And I've, and I've got it made. I'm going to heaven, right? And so often that's what we're presented at church. We're presented this, 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 this message of, all right, just ask Jesus into your heart and everything's going to be all right from here on out. It's a little bit more than that to live the Christian life. If you've been a Christian for more than a minute, you know, wait a second, it doesn't just end there, okay? And so we talked about this uh, several weeks ago when we talked about in verse 2 about, um, about not being conformed but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And how we are changed from the inside out through what? What's it called? Starts with an S? Rhymes with sanctification. Sanctification. Thank you. Right. Made up words for you there. So verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Genuine means real. Sincere. Your version may say without hypocrisy. That means the same thing. Basically, not fake. So another way to say this is love for real, right? Just love for real. Don't be fake. There's enough fake you on Facebook and Instagram. We need the real you, right? Okay? And in the context of where we are in this letter, Paul is primarily talking about a relationship with fellow Christians, right? He's talking about how we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ And when we were reconciled to God, you remember we talked about that several weeks ago, that through salvation we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That our relationship is made right with God through Christ. And when we are reconciled to God and adopted into the family, we are also reconciled to each other through Jesus Christ. So we have unity as believers. So you're going to hear a lot of things in contemporary Christianity right now. A lot of things are being pushed, a lot of things for like social justice and, 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 and critical race theory and reparations and all those things. But I'm telling you right now, it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have unity. And that is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we continue, there's also an understanding that based on, uh, based on what Paul is saying about our roles in the church, that this is an act of love. It's not just a a sit around and just say, I love someone. I I don't just say that I love my church. I don't just say that I love other Christians. I don't just post it on my social media, hashtag love my church or something like that. But that I actively pronounce by showing my love for them through serving. This love is an action. And, And one way is to actually use the gifts that we talked about last or two weeks ago. That, that we use the gifts that God has given us for the edification of the church and for the glory of God. We all have got something, right? We talked about a couple weeks ago. We talked about finding your gift, figuring out what it is, what, it, what, what are you passionate about, what are you really good at, what just, just gets that fire going within you to serve Christ and do it with a local body of believers, not keeping it to myself or using it for my benefit and my glory. And in order to use your gifts, there's a couple of things. Number one, you have to be present. You have to be there. You have to go. You have to come. 
right? You can't use your gifts for the church if you're not at church. Be present. You have to sacrifice. Listen, it ain't easy. It is not easy. And you have to give up of some of your time, right? Peyton, you give up some of your time preparing to sing on Sunday mornings? Quite a bit of time, right? Yeah. It takes sacrifice. And you have to be selfless or unselfish. It's not about me. Me getting up here and, and, and preaching the word of God, it's not about glorifying me. It's about glorifying God. If it was all about glorifying me, then I'd be up here for the wrong reasons and I wouldn't be using it for, for, the, for the right purpose. I wouldn't be loving you. I'd be loving me. <laughs> Get it? Does that make sense? When we talk about love, you know, we, we automatically think about that chapter. What chapter am I thinking about? Come on. Come on, you, you Bible scholars. What chapter in the New Testament do we always refer to about love? Anyone? Thank you. First Corinthians 13. Very good. I like how Kat goes, Duns? And Maya just says the answer, right? First Corinthians 13, right? We, we talk, it shows us what love should look like. Love is patient. Who's really good at that? I'm not. Why are you calling me out, girl? What's... Wow. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or envious. It doesn't brag. It isn't proud or arrogant or conceited. It isn't rude and disrespectful. What's the giggling? What was that? Here's a big one. It's not selfish. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep record of wrongdoings. In other words, it's, they don't keep score. It takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in truth. I'm going to expound on that for just a second because it's been driving me crazy. Listening and seeing Christians on, on Instagram and Facebook and all these other things. Suppressing the truth doesn't show love. Suppressing the truth doesn't show love. In fact, it does the opposite. If you suppress the truth, then you're showing hate. Telling the truth is more loving than lying. You'll understand what I mean more in a second. Love accepts all things. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always endures and it never ends. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have. Isn't that nuts? I read that list and I was like, I am not doing like most of these. And what I find really intriguing, and you know what? I've read this chapter, I don't know, 37 for 30 plus years, right? I'm 37, right? Yeah. 30 plus years. It, taught, it lists more about what love is not than what it is. Did you, did you catch that when I was reading it? It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not selfish. It's not easily angered. Imagine, if you will, imagine if we as Christians, as proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ, if we did this just in our churches, what if we did it as a youth group? If we loved like this, How different would our world be if just us? How different would it be if we just did one of them 
not selfish. Would that not cover so many of these other ones? If I'm not selfish, I can be patient. If I'm not selfish, I can be kind. If I'm not selfish, I'm not jealous. Right? Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing out of selfishness, but out of humility. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. First of all, that, chapter, that verse right there is just convicting, right? Be imitators of God. I'm not good at that. I'm just going to be honest. As beloved children... Because I love God so much, I just want to be like him. You know how like sometimes kids, they just, they just love their dad or their mom so much that one day they want to grow up and be just like them, right? My kid doesn't. She already said that. I said, don't you want to work in a bank? I never want to work in a bank ever, right? But as a beloved, someone who love, I love my father in heaven, why don't I want to be more like him? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. It says to walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up. What is that? Sacrificial. Sacrificial love. We're supposed to love the way Christ loved us? He left heaven. Would anybody here leave heaven? God gave his... Only son. I'm not giving up my kid for anyone in this room. Right? I love you. But I love her more. Okay? But we're supposed to walk and love as Christ loved. Okay, moving on. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. So that word itself is just like, abhor, right? It's just like, it's just kind of deep. It means hate, despise. It should disgust you, is what it's saying. Evil should disgust you. And I really like how they go from this, this strong language, right? Let love be genuine and hate evil. He does it on purpose. He, he's saying, listen, you need to love strongly and love with all that you have. And love as much as you possibly can. And with that same emphasis and that same enthusiasm and that same strength, you hate what is evil. The Greek word that's used here is apostugeo. I probably butchered that. I have it written phonetically here, but I probably still said it wrong. It means to dislike, abhor, have a horror of. Oh, that was an interesting definition. Have a horror of. My first thought was like, you need to be like, you know, a babysitter running from Michael Myers, right? Just have a horror of evil, right? But the word comes from two words. Uh, the word, it, it, it's, it's coming from two words. And one word means to hate or detest. And the second word means this, to separate yourself from or distance yourself from. So it's saying, essentially, we should hate and keep ourselves away from evil. 
distance ourselves so we don't invite evil into our lives. We don't let it hang out with our family. We don't let it influence our thoughts. And a part of our problem is we don't abhor evil. Right? We don't. We tolerate evil. It's a big word in our culture. Tolerance, right? We tolerate evil. We excuse it. We watch it. We spend our time and money on it. We welcome it into our homes, into our minds. We listen to it in our music. It fills up our, our feeds and our DMs. We allow evil to shape our worldview and not the Bible. We should be running and fighting and hating evil as if our lives depended on it. Think about that. To separate the horror, it should disgust you. Another problem is that we no longer call sin, sin. This is going to be the part of this message that most, a lot of people aren't going to like. We don't call sin, sin. Because our world is completely upside down, right? It's like we're in Stranger Things and we live in the upside down. That's what it feels like. We celebrate the murder of innocent babies as progressive feminism. We celebrate sexual immorality as courageous. We celebrate and normalize pedophilia as an identity. I identify as a child lover. We listen to music that objectifies women and call it entertainment, but then hashtag me too. We forbid churches to meet, but we allow riots and liquor stores to be open. Our world's upside down. Isaiah 520 talks about this. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those. Meaning, something bad's going to happen to them. Something real bad. And as Christians, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should have a biblical worldview. Do you know what that means? A biblical worldview. In other words, we should look around and see things through the lenses of the Word of God. That's how we view things, not based on what culture says, not based on what our feelings say, not based on what an influencer says, not any other cultural means necessary. We use this as our lens to look at everything. Now, anything in this world should be our source of right and wrong or morality, but the word of God. It says to abhor evil. The Bible lists many evils, right? A lot of evils. We don't have time to go into all the evils. It would be like, that's part 1A, B, C, D, E, F. Yeah, right? We're not doing that. But so many evils are celebrated in our culture. And I just want to point out just, just a couple. Keep your finger in Romans 12 and then go over to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, verse 16. If you got it, say, I got it. Oh, nobody's got it. 
Got it? All right. <clears throat> Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. That, that means there are seven things that he cannot stand. 17, verse 17. Haughty eyes. My version says haughty eyes. Yours might say prideful eyes, a proud look. Pride. Pride. God hates pride. It's the opposite of humble, right? Pride is the first sin. Think about it. How did Lucifer get kicked out of heaven? Pride. That was the first sin, not Adam and Eve, just that way. We'll talk about it later if you want to. Pride and ego is what drives most social media platforms, right? And do we not all live on social media platforms? Pride pushes that. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, no matter what side you're on, if you're in rebellion, pride says, I don't need God. If you're steeped in religion, pride says, God really needs me. Either way, it's a lie. <laughs> and it, God hates it. Speaking of lying, a lying tongue. Lying is the absence of truth. And what does Jesus call himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, truth and the life. John Gill, a theologian, John Gill, says that there is nothing more that a man can do in which he resembles the devil as when he lies, as the devil is the father of lies. Man, think about that. How many lies did you tell today? Don't, don't say that loud. <laughs> a lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. Murder of the innocent. And there's a bunch of different forms of this, right? There's the, there's the big version. There's the genocide, if you've heard of what genocide is. Uh, when militaries or rebels go and they kill an entire people group in order to exterminate them, right? That's killing innocent. There's terrorism. We're very familiar with that in America, right? September 11th, if you were old enough, you remember exactly where you were and what you were doing. The biggest one in our country right now is abortion. You're like, Chris, why are you, why are you so much on abortion tonight? Because it is the murder of the innocent. And the CDC website <clears throat> gives an estimate in 2018. The CDC, so it's the government-backed website. In 2018, this was just reported. Not all states report their abortions. Okay? Bless you. Some states don't report, but the ones that do reported 614,800 abortions. Over half a million babies slaughtered. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Because the mothers, the fathers, the parents, the doctors, the nurses, the directors, the supporters, the government officials, they are all guilty of that innocent blood. But then let's take another step further. Jesus said that if you have hate in your heart toward your brother, you've committed murder. So all these hate groups in our country, 
They're committing murder according to Jesus. You hate someone based on the, the color of their skin, their, their, their social economic background, their where they, you know, what ethnicity they are. That's garbage. And there's no room at the cross for any type of racism, any type of hate, any type of bigotry, any of that. And that's looked at as murder by our Jesus, our Lord. Verse 18. I'm going to hurry up. I'm sorry. A heart that devises wicked plans or a mind. Thoughts of wickedness. These are people that walk around with just hateful thoughts, either against God or other people. And they're coming up with ways to rebel and to cause chaos. Know anybody like that? Watch the news. Feet that make haste to run to evil or do evil. These are people, these are the troublemakers we talk about, that they're, they're just looking for trouble, just to get into trouble, to start trouble, anarchists, those kind of people, right? Know any of those? Watch the news. Verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. And I love how they use this terminology, a false witness who breathes out lies, because essentially it's saying that lying is like breathing to them. It's like, it's like a second nature. They just, they just naturally lie. These are people who create lies and spread them, swear to them, and all to damage and hurt somebody else. Y'all know anybody like that? If you're a teenage girl, you know a lot of girls like that, right? One who sows discord among brothers. This is someone who starts arguments and causes divisions amongst family and friends and churches. There are many other evils that are listed. And the Bible is very clear throughout several verses that we are to be as careful to avoid them and, 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 and just stay away from them at all costs. I already read one, but 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Be careful who you surround yourself with. Bad company is going to mess it up. Miss Tanya talked about it last week. How much easier is it for someone to get pulled down than to pull someone up? Right? 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from every form of evil. Every form. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Get away from it. Run. Flee. Fight. Now back to Romans 12. Romans 12, 9. We said, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast or cleave. Your version might say cling. But essentially it means to join, to fasten firmly. And the Greek word literally means to glue or cement together. So it's saying to, to, to hold fast, to glue yourself with what is good. You might say, well, what does the Bible consider good? Thank you for asking that question. Because I'm going to tell you. Psalm, jot this down in your notes because you're going to want to read it later. Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 54, 6. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Good. Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, 
For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 119.68 You are good, and you do good. Nahum 1.7 The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Those are just a few. Get a concordance and look up good. There's a lot. Hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to Jesus. Submit yourself to him. Develop and strengthen your relationship with him. Get to know him so well that you finish each other's sentences. You might say, what does that mean? You sound like a crazy person. You ever heard the saying, I know them so well, we just we finish each other's sentences, right? If you get to know the Lord through the word of God, it just starts spewing out of your mouth. You start to speak the word of God. You start to pray the word of God. You start to sing the word of God. You start to think the word of God. And when things come at you and you memorize it and you know it, man, you're clinging to the Lord. Cement yourself to what is good. Grow in love with Jesus. Grow in love. I didn't say fall in love because you can't fall in love, but you can grow in love with Jesus. It's not like a cheesy song, man. It's the word of God. Grow in love with him. And as you, remember these words, and as you vivify, love that word, as you vivify or bring to life your relationship with Christ, you're putting to death or mortifying your sin nature that does, does not abhor evil. And then we're going we're gonna to end on this. Colossians chapter 3. Flip over to Colossians chapter 3. And one day I'm going to preach out of Colossians. And that will take another two years probably. Colossians 3. Verse 1. Let me know when you got there. You there? Colossians 3. Colossians 3. 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if you have been saved. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been raised from death to life, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. In other words, we need to be focusing on the, the eternal things and not the temporal things. We need to put more of an emphasis on the things that we get to take with us to heaven and not the things that are going to stay on this earth and rot. Okay? That really cool car or that really nice phone or whatever it is is not going to last for eternity. But what is, is your relationship with God. It's, it's how many people are you going to tell about Jesus? How often are you going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how many people are you going to bring with you to heaven? Focus on those things. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember we talked about this in Romans chapter 6. That we are dead to our sin, but we are alive to Christ. For when Christ, who is your life, appears. I love that. I love that, right? When Christ, who is your life. Is Christ your life? Is Jesus your life? Or is your phone your life? Or is your followers your life? Or is your music your life? Or is it your car your life? Or is it fill in the blank, whatever it is. Is that your life or is Jesus your life? Because it's Jesus, if he's your life, then you have all hope in the world. If he's your life, then you don't have to worry about things anymore. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that life is easy. I'm just saying life is so much sweeter with him. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a promise. What a promise. He's coming again, y'all. He says, if I leave, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am there, you may be also. Praise God. What a, what a hope. There's hope. <laughs> There's hope in that. This is not our final place. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right? I don't want to be fat forever. One day I won't be. Hallelujah. One day I won't have weak ankles and roll them every time we play basketball. One day I won't have a bad knee that gets stiff every time it gets cold outside. Praise the Lord. That's good news for me. I don't know about y'all. You'll get old. You'll get it one day. Verse 5. Put to death. Your version might say mortify. Remember, we're talking about mortification. See how it all works together? Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality. That word there that's used for sexual immorality is porneia. You might guess where what word we get from that. Right. But the word porneia, it's like a, it's, 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 it's an all-inclusive word, okay? It's an all-inclusive word that, that represents all sexual sin outside of God's plan. All sexual sin outside of God's plan, which in case you didn't know, is one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's how it is. That's God's plan. Anything outside that plan, any deviation from that is sexual immorality or porneia. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, or desiring for more stuff, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Listen, y'all, in case you didn't know, at salvation, see, what happened is, is that when Jesus came to this earth and he died upon the cross, God poured out his, all of his wrath on all of man's sins on him at that time. The reason being is that I cannot withstand the wrath of God. See, what happens is that Jesus was able to withstand the wrath of God because he is God. And so he took my punishment. And now I don't have to worry about God's wrath ever. Ever. But guess what it says here? You live in that stuff? God's wrath's coming. Abhor what is evil. Hate it. Keep it away from you. Why? Because what's evil is going to send you to hell. And these you too once walked. Meaning, guess what? You've been free of this. You're dead to these sins now. They have no control over you. If you do them, you're choosing to do them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being, listen, remember Romans 12 too, right? And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The Holy Spirit, God, the third person in the Trinity, the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God himself comes and lives inside of us and, and, and does a re, remember we talked about this, a remodel from the inside out, right? It says that we are renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We were created in the image of God. And if we're all image, listen, listen, look, look it says, in the image of, uh, of its creator, meaning we are all image bearers of Christ, which goes into verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, bar barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Meaning that we are all the same in Christ. 
There is no race, there is no ethnicity, there is no socioeconomic background. We are all equal in the eyes of God. How about that? That means if there's any hate in your heart, let's talk about if you truly are a, Jesus, a follower of Jesus Christ. Because according to this, we're all made in the image of our creator, including that baby in the mama's belly who's going to the abortion clinic, including every single person that protests, that we're like, why are they protesting? Doesn't matter, we should love them. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Remember we're talking about love? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Does that not sound familiar to 1 Corinthians 13? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, forgive each other. Just as the Lord forgave you. Get over it. God did. It says that he threw our sins as far as the east is from the west. So you know what? We need to get over whatever we have with each other. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. We're one body. We're unified in one body. And be thankful. It's hard to complain when you're thankful. Right? It's hard to be selfish when you're thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Guys, there's so much good in here, and there's just so much you can get. Every time I read this, more and more pours out and pours out, and I'm like, how am I going to get all this in one lifetime? I don't have to worry about that because I'm going to heaven. All right. And dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, there's place for music in heaven. Hallelujah. Thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, listen, whatever you do, in word, or D, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything. So when you, <laughs> I won't go too deep, all right? We're, we're wrapping up. But when you're in traffic, do everything as unto the Lord. I'm looking at a mirror, honey, I know, all right? I'm preaching to me. This is Jesus talking to me, to y'all, at the same time, all right? When you're at school and the teacher's just ragging you, do everything as unto the Lord. When you're at home and your parents just telling you to do the same thing over and over again, do everything as unto the Lord. When your siblings just start to get on your nerves, do everything as unto the Lord. The point of tonight is this love for real, hate evil. And cling to Jesus. It's an easy point. <laughs> Love for real, hate evil, and cling to Jesus. And everything we talked about today was the effects of the gospel. And if you've never been, if you've never experienced the gospel, then all this stuff just seems like, I, I don't get it. Why should I love people? Why should I, you know... Cling to the Lord. What does that matter? I'm telling you right now that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. The gospel is simply this. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. And he did that to take the wrath of God on man's sins. Because we're all sinners. 
We're born, sin, we're born with sin nature. And Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sin. And what he does is he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to give you this. This is a gift. You can have, we can switch places. We talked about this double imputation, right? S essentially it's this. I'll take the punishment for your sin and you get credit for my life. So that when we stand before God, he sees Jesus and not this wretched sinner that I am. That he just comes with this like spiritual heavenly detergent and washes away all my sins. And it's almost like, I, it, it's as if I had never sinned ever. That's what the Bible says. And if you want to experience that, please come talk to one of us tonight because we want to tell you all about it. All right, let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for these students. I thank you that they were so attentive tonight, God. I just thank you that they were uh, paying attention, and even if they weren't, they weren't making noise, so I appreciate it. And I just thank you for each person who was here. I pray, God, that you would take these words, that we will apply it to our lives, that we will not, as James says, that we won't be hearer, just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of the word. That this, it doesn't stop and end here, that we continue and that we will apply these truths to our lives and that we will love for real, not fake, but we will love out of, out of because, because you loved us, we love others. And I pray we'll love for real, that we will hate evil, that we will fight it, that we will run from it, that we won't even let it into our lives. And if that means that we have to unfollow people, if that means that we have to block people, if that means we have to delete apps off of our phone, we will willingly do so because we love you more than we love a stupid phone. And I pray, God, that we will put you before all things and that everything we will do, we will do it as unto the Lord. And we will cling to Jesus in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.